welcome to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pullis, and my guest today is Helen Yost, author of Gardening with Confidence and Plants with Benefits. Welcome, Helen. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Now, how did you, Gardening with Confidence is kind of an unusual title for a book. How did you come to write your book? Well, um, it is an unusual title, and it kind of sounds like, you know, I'm this really cocky gardener, but um, it's that's kind of <laughs> not the case. I'd like to think it's not the case. Um, my husband was watching me. This was 20 years ago. Um, he was watching me put, put a tree in the ground, and I was wheeling around this um, shovel, and he said, Man, you really know how to garden with confidence. <laughs> and oh. I said, well, I, either that or purpose, and I thought the confidence sounded better, but... You know, you can't mess around when you're in a garden. You can't just take the shovel and just tap your foot on it. You know, you got to really put your body into it. And um, so, I, you know, I garden with confidence. And, but does, that sounds like maybe that you've never made a mistake in gardening. No. I <laughs> do that. That's why I was so qualified to write the book, Gardening with Confidence, because I have made every single one. And I still make the same ones because I'm, you know, in this denial, and not just with zones. I tell you, my biggest mistake is sun. It's mm-hmm. just not wanting to believe that, that you know, is that gold is going to stay gold if I give it a little bit of shade, whereas a camerciferous <laughs> that wasn't gold would be okay in the shade but if i want that gold i'm going to have to give it i'm going to have to give it some some sun I, I, been there. I, it's, it's a denial yeah, been there done that yeah and it's like i keep trying to grow vegetables in my now shady backyard and yes. i just don't have the sun for it i think you can only food. eat so much kale right right <laughs> <laughs> and well, actually i i have to confess i'm not one of the people that likes kale you know, I like it because I can grow it. I can grow it. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you're just happy with what you can eat. Like I, I do a lot of green beans because green beans will tolerate some shade too. Yes. Um, so you've got an all shade garden, and you also try to grow vegetables, or have you given up on that one? No, and I don't have an all shade garden, but I, I, I first and foremost think of myself as a, a wildlife habitat. So I'll bring in pollinators. Is kind of my top goal and most of them are going to look for you know very sunny spots so the butterflies can bring their wing temperatures up um you know the flowers that are blooming and that sort of thing so most of that area is filled with flowers to attract pollinators Um, but i do have two areas where i grow specifically vegetables i'm a big tomato grower because i love tomatoes um cucumbers is another thing that i grow because it's so easy and I like the way they trail, um, but I also do lettuces, but my, but I don't usually eat them. I just feed them to my chickens, so they like the <laughs> lettuce. <laughs> yeah, my chickens like lettuce, too, and I always give them the stuff that's starting to get bitter. We'll eat some of it, but, um, it, you know, and, of course, fall lettuce is, is wonderful because it keeps, it stays for a long time. Yes, but, yeah. Uh, we just planted ours um, this week, so... We'll see. What, it looks like the rabbit's got some of it. And that's the other thing. You know, I have every nemesis. I have rabbit. Well, I don't have every. I'm really fortunate that I don't have deer. But the voles, you know, they're just as bad. They're going at one ear, one end, and the deer would go after the other if the bunnies didn't already take it. So I've got to be careful about that, too. We have so many stray cats coming into our yard that we don't. we no longer have a bunny or a vole problem. 
They have taken care of all of them. They've taken care of the chipmunks that used to go through and eat my take bites out of my tomatoes too. Wow, how many so do you many? have? <laughs> well, I have. I, I rehomed nine last year. I have nine in the house, and there are at least another half dozen out there that that come around. Wow. And they take care of the problem for me. So maybe in addition to your chickens, uh-huh. you need to get a cat. Well, I do have a cat, um, a fat cat, and um, and I say that only because he doesn't work real hard. <laughs> He's not getting up there and chasing anything. It's got to be kind of walking right in front of him and bite him in the nose before he'll... Take a while. <laughs> maybe he's maybe he's just a little too hungry. Maybe he needs somebody to show him how. <laughs> yeah, you know? that's me. I'll get on all fours. What the heck? <laughs> a lot of um, feral cat programs look for places to rehome other ferals. Oh, um, you know, for people with barns and stuff like that. Uh-huh. And most of the ferals that come through here are excellent hunters. I should look into that. That's that a great idea. Be. And and. Yeah, because the voles otherwise will take you away. They'll yeah, they will. Around, they'll nibble around the trunks of all your shrubs. Um, they'll bite. They'll, they'll, they're not above taking your vegetables either. I discovered. I didn't. Mm. I didn't think they would, but they do. Mm. Um, they but got I guess the banana root. Yeah. Well, they got the pepper plants. You wouldn't mm. think that. They, they got a bunch of them, and I I saw the little booger out there. I mean, I caught him red-handed. Well, I didn't catch him, but <laughs> I saw him yeah, with yeah. his dirty little paws on it. <laughs> now, you said that you are a, a wildlife a wildlife habitat. Um, are you National Wildlife Federation certified? I am, like I am? and I think yeah. it's a, a great program to build awareness. Um, I'd like, I, you know, personally, I've had this goal that they would actually create one that was difficult to get <laughs> i mean that in the nicest way but you know if you've ever certified your garden just you know you can you can and just about anybody can be certified if you if you meet the minimum requirements of the, of the four categories and um i've even gone in there just to say okay well how little can i get away with you know when i'm certifying other people and um it's it's completely e- too easy to get, I think. And I don't mean to be bashing it because it's a wonderful program and it's uh, great for awareness. But I would love there to be a tier system so when you have super-duper people who have made this major commitment um, to say, you know, we get a little shining star. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems to me that when I, I've um, gone looking at certification for some of my clients um, and – it seems to me that it's very much easier than it was when I got my garden certified, which must have been one of the first years of the program. Interesting. Because okay. I, I, I had to get my sign replaced because it just wore out from from age and weather. Uh-huh. And I like to have the sign over by my driveway so people understand what the plants are in here, and, and it generates interest, and people will stop and talk if they're out walking their dog or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that probably what happened was that it looked too unattainable for people. Oh. And so now they've got it down to where you have to provide, you know, cover and shelter and, and water and food for them and not have to do the complicated stuff. Okay. Well, and again, it's good. It's a good because it builds awareness, and for that I love it. Um, 
And even if it just keeps people from, um, you know, mowing all their roadsides and mowing down all the milkweed and stuff like that. Yeah, that bothers me. And, and not, you know, the emphasis on not using chemical sprays. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I used to work for Extension. I can't tell you how many times people would bring in parsley or dill and have a caterpillar on it that they had sprayed into oblivion. Oh. And then they wanted to know, you know, what this thing was and how to take care of it because they wanted to eat the dill or the parsley. And I had to explain <laughs> to them that that was a baby butterfly. And you're planning on eating this, or you were, and you've just sprayed it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's, it, it's a problem of education, but I, I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I can't fault I can't fault the National Wildlife Federation for for making it a little bit easier for people to to do, and they've got a lot more information on their website than um, than just the basic stuff too. So that helps. Well, it is, and they have built up that website. It's it really looks great. Um, so yeah, no. It's four things. Water, only one water requirement, which all you, you know, all you need is a bird bath. Um, I have multiple bird baths at various heights, um, and uh, but I don't have a stream or anything like that. I have a fountain that that, that I have amphibians um, in the reservoir. I love that. So you know, you I try to work every every inch of my garden into something that is going to be beneficial for the wildlife. And when I even plant, I I think, okay, who benefits from this? Beyond me, you know, I'm getting ready to put in a crab apple, and everybody's saying, oh, they're so messy, and you'll have squirrels, or you'll have this, and I'm going, yeah, but I also have cider, and it's also good for the wildlife, and it's a great cover plant for the winter. So there's so many great things that the plant does that goes beyond ornamental, but it will also be a, a beautiful spring flowering tree. And if you're lucky, you'll be able to get enough crab apples. The birds will leave you enough so that you can um, make some crab apple jelly out of it, too. That sounds good. <laughs> I'm going to do that, too. I, I, I started planting my landscape as an edible landscape. The first thing that I did was I figured, well, you know, fruit trees are pretty in the spring, just like, a, you know, why, why should I have a flowering cherry when I can have a cherry that's going to give me fruit? Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted apple trees, so I've got apple trees and blueberries and things like that. And they benefit the wildlife, too, because that was one of my other passions was gardening for wildlife. Unfortunately, I did kind of find that sometimes the two are mutually exclusive, that the wildlife that you want to attract is going to try to take out some of your vegetables that you want for yourself. It's true. That is true. Like, I, I, I haven't got, I've never gotten a blueberry. I mean, they have a much better sense on when they're ripe than I do because they'll just show up one day and, and they're gone, and you know. And I'm like, oh, well, pick those tomorrow. Well, that doesn't happen in my garden, as you can imagine. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> the birds get it within, within hours. Yeah, we, we really do have to be honest with people when we tell them that if you're gardening for wildlife, you're going to get wildlife, and sometimes that wildlife is going to eat your food too. Yes. Um, I'm fortunate that we usually have a mockingbird or a brown thrasher that nests in my blueberries, in one of my blueberry patches. And uh-huh. they keep the other birds pretty far away. Interesting. That's... If you've got, have you, if you've ever been uh, dive-bombed by a mockingbird, you'll know why. Uh, getting close to the nest? Yeah. If, they get, if, if other animals or you yourself get close to that mockingbird nest, that mockingbird's going to tell you to get the heck out of there. So what's the trick on getting them to nest there? 
Um, I'd just leave a little bit of extra brushy stuff around it along the fence line. Oh, that's a good idea. And so that there, it's not just bushes out in the open. They're kind of protected. Mm-hmm. And so the I've got some honeysuckle in there, and, of course, they like that, and the hummingbirds like that, um, And even though it's a, a terrible pest. But it gives enough cover that the mockingbirds feel like they can raise their nests, raise their young successfully there, and it seems to work. That's a great and idea. And my natural pest protection from the other birds. Yes. Very At clever. During the, for the early blueberries. Later mm-hmm. on, you know, it's kind of anybody's, it, it's up for grabs. Yeah. We got about half a minute before we have to go to break, but um, when we come back, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about what you do besides Garden for Wildlife and some of your other tips and um, some more about your book. Excellent. Okay, we are going to take this little break for a while. I want to remind you that you can find America's Homegrown Veggie Show on Facebook, and you can write through write to me through my website, MrsGreenThumb.com, as well as America's Web Radio. We'll be right back after this. Do your children know where their food comes from? At ConnectingFarmToFork.com, there's all kinds of ways to help your child understand how 300 million of us here in America stay nourished, clothed, and healthy. Activities, food facts, and farm visits Help young people learn about America's hardworking farmers and have lots of fun doing it. Visit ConnectingFarmToFork.com today for a learning experience that will really grow on you. ConnectingFarmToFork.com, brought to you by the people who care at Feedstuff's Food Link. Quick Steaks, that's Q-U-I-K Steaks, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quicksteak.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Steaks. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Steaks, Q-U-I-K Steaks, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pullis, and I'm back with my guest today, Helen Yost, author of Gardening with Confidence and another book called Plants with Benefits. Welcome back, Helen. And right before the break, we, talk, we were talking about your wildlife and your the problem that you had with blueberries and stuff. Tell me some more about your garden. You've got vegetables. You've got native plants. Well, what else I, do you have? I do have native plants, but I also have some exotics, well-tamed ones. I I also serve on the board of the J.C. Ralston Arboretum, which we uh, the research arm of NC State. So, and it's really to trial plants in this area of all plants. So not you know not just native, but um, those that are brought in from plant um, exhibitions and that sort of thing. So I mean, I am I am a plant. Nut, you know, certified plant nut. Oh yeah. my gosh, <laughs> I, you know, I try and not, you know, do that, but I do. And Gardening I have, is a disease. It's a disease, and I don't <laughs> want to cure either. So you know, I like weeping trees and something that does something a little bit different. Um, but I'm also wanting to do more large swaths of plants because it really is good, for, you know, to design. Uh, for the for the wildlife to be able to see, you know, that, that this is what they want, you know, big swaths of red or big swaths of purple, whatever it is that they're looking for. Yeah, so I, I like, like, the, like that. 
it's not like you can play, you can yeah, they'll benefit if you have one each of everything, but not as much as if they can see it. And yeah, you know, you, know, you want to beacon them. You want to bring them in. They need to be able to see, you know, a hummingbird wants to see, you know, red. I, I have a, the roof of my shed is red. The, I'll put red bandanas on shepherd's hooks. You know, I want them to see red. Once they get in, they're going to go ahead and sip from any plant that suits their need. Um, but I, you know, it could be purple, it could be yellow or wh- or white, but they need to get into the garden first, and so that's why I bring in all the red. Mm. I've never really thought about bringing in hummingbirds because they just come. And oh, you know, yeah. one of the things, one of the things, the plants that I found that they like best is Salvia garnetica. Yes, they do. That blue, you know, that big blue salvia. They mm-hmm. just go nuts for it. Mm-hmm, they do. So, and- and I go nuts pulling it when I want to keep it tamed, but it's always in my garden because it brings in the hummers. And you know what else I found that this, I don't know, it's by accident. I didn't, never never read about it, and I just, you know, learned it, and that's cana. They love my Bengal tiger orange cana. Well, they're welcome to it. <laughs> I, I got to say, I am I am so over. I, I grew them years and years ago because, of course, they're a quintessential southern plant. Uh-huh. And then we had that tropical rage, what, 15 years ago when everybody was yeah. zone pushing with tropical. So I had all the taros and the cannas and the bananas and the gingers and... I just got tired of digging them up. That was, during, of course, during the cold decade, you know, uh-huh. the 80s, when it was, we would regularly get down below zero here. Mm. And I just I just got tired of digging them up. And mm. even when Bengal Tiger came along, um, I was just over it. Yeah. <laughs> well, we go in phases. I, you know, of all things, I have a, I've started a boxwood collection. <laughs> oh, never, never in my life did I, would I think that I would be in, Thrawed with boxwoods. I even went to the boxwood collection at the Arboretum. Like this is probably like ten years ago, the National Arboretum. I'm going. Why is all this space being used for boxwoods? And <laughs> sure enough, here I am now with a boxwood collection. Um, oh, but I also, I also like the soft fruits. Um, I like the raspberries, blueberries, figs. I will grow. I'll grow the fruits as well. I um, and you know it's one of those things you just kind of can't change your spots. You know you you don't think that you are attracted to one thing, and before you know it, you have more soft fruit trees than you do flowering trees. I it's, I mean it's just kind of interesting to me that if you could look around your garden, somebody I, somebody posted on Facebook recently. You know, show me your garden, and I'll. I'll tell you who you are, and I said, oh, my gosh, that is so true. You can walk in someone's garden and, you know, clearly understand that, you know, they like it ornamental or they just, they're looking for the health aspect of it or, or you know, they want to bring in the wildlife or they're just, you know, crazy because they've got one of every weeping tree. And so, I, you know, I'm in all of those categories, but it really is true. You you. you I can tell you who you are. It's like a, a crystal ball. Tell you who you are by looking at your garden. Well, I think that that works up to a point. But if you're like me, I call it cereal plant lust. You know, I will I will find, you know, get every member I can of uh, some family. Yeah, you know, like I went I went through a salvia phase and discovered big bloomers over, oh. over in your neck of the woods. And they love had three, big bloomers. 
they had three greenhouses full of nothing but salvias. <laughs> you got one of each. How big is yes. your garden? <laughs> um, well, I have two thirds of an acre, but most of it now is shady, um, so I couldn't I couldn't repeat that. But uh-huh. I still have some salvia garnetica and some of the Texas sage, just because they hang on. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that big tall salvia madrensis that oh, gets taller than my gutters but now yeah. because it's too shady. Uh-huh. But, but you know, and that followed the my my salvia lust followed my fruit plant lust. And now I like to have the fruit plants both for me and for the birds, um, because I want to eat healthy food and golly, some of the stuff you get at the store smells like pesticides. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want that, and I don't I want know. my husband to eat it. And so, you know what, that's that's one of my things, too, that I do. Well, and also hard to get. You know, like I grow pawpaw because, I mean, I'm not going to be able to buy it anywhere. Or, And the same with the figs. You know, you can go to Fresh Market and get figs, but... Um, they're not as tasty as what I can get off of my tree, and I I can't pick them and expect them to be on the shelf for more than 24 hours. So yeah, you know, so yeah. I'll take soft fruits. Yeah, the soft fruits, and so I I I take up my valuable space because I look at it as okay, well, what are you going to produce for me? If I can go get tomatoes at the farmer's market, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do rows and rows of tomatoes, especially since I have to rotate those crops. I'll just go ahead and benefit a, gar- or a farmer at the farmer's market, but I'm going to grow what I can't readily get. So, Or it's so pricey that I can't afford it, like, you know, yeah, raspberries. Like raspberries. <laughs> oh, my gosh, do I love my raspberries. Yeah, and I, I just can't justify paying, you know, $6 for a little tiny box of raspberries. Mm-hmm. I understand why they have to charge so much because the wastage is so horrendous because they don't ship well and you have to package them very shallowly. Um, but, gee golly, I don't have to like paying those prices. So I, Right. Especially when you don't know how it's going to taste. Right, and, and and it's a you know a perennial. It's a permanent plant with, with you know some annual maintenance, but um, it's not like you have to put it in every year. So it's, it's again, there's some benefits to that, and it's pretty. I have mine out by the street. Uh, my garden, by the way, is uh, water wise as well. It's a, it's also organic and just completely sustainable, not just from a wildlife standpoint, but from itself because I don't water. Um, I have directed all of my drain pipes, my gutters, to various zones in the garden that created them as oasis zones, and my vegetables are all in oasis zones. So the garden was designed based on where and how I could get water to it. And then I only have to do a minimal amount of supplemental watering for the vegetables, but nothing else gets uh, a supplemental watering. So that was the input. When you when you say that, because I planted, I'm, I'm looking out my window at my giant bald cypress that, of course, didn't read the book, uh, <laughs> how big it, how wide it was going to be. And I, that was one of my, during my shovel planting stage, you know, where you walk around um, designing your garden by a shovel because you've got the shovel in one hand and the plant in the other, <laughs> because that plant just happened to jump into your garden cart, you know, when you were shopping. <laughs> And, and this was one of them. I, I rescued it from a big box store, and it was like $16 for a four-foot-tall plant. 
And so, of course, it just had to come home with me. And then I walked around. Okay, it likes moisture. Where do we have moisture? Ah, I've got a, a low spot in the front lawn, and I run the downspout. I can run the downspout over that way. And that's what I did. Uh-huh. And there you go. <laughs> So now I've got a giant bald cypress in front of a one-story ranch. (laughs) (laughs) I do talk about that in my book, Gardening with Confidence, when you're picking, you know, putting things to scale. And we so often forget that, you know, there's a a southern magnolia would not look good next to a ranch house either. You know, you need a little bit of height to kind of balance that out. Yeah, but there was a southern magnolia here when we bought the place, and I wasn't going to remove it. Because no, I, I love them. It's one of my favorite trees. Oh, my gosh. We have a lot in this neighborhood as well. When we first moved here, the yard was almost completely bare, and it was surrounded by a chain-link fence. And I hadn't seen it before closing because we'd been down house shopping for couple of weeks, and I decided, well, we're just never going to find a place down here near my folks, and we drove home, and as we were driving in the driveway, the phone was ringing, and my dad said, I found your house, <laughs> huh. and and it was incredibly cheap, and it had an 8.5% assumable mortgage in 1981 when they were running 15 16%, uh-huh. and it had a fully fenced yard. And since we were we had dogs and we're getting tired of walking them when we lived in the city, I said, fine, make them an offer. Wow. And then I came down, and the plane was late, so I didn't get to see it before closing. And we drove around the corner, and I, I was expecting, you know, a house with trees and stuff around it, too, because that was one of my requirements. And Dad said, well, it's got this magnolia here. <laughs> And there were a couple of poplars in the back along what had been a fence line. And then they had this ugly, really ugly chain-link fence. It looked just like a prison farm. Oh. <laughs> Ouch. But, you know, more than 30 years later, we're still here, and now you can't see the fence and you can't see the house for all yeah. the trees and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, so it, It's it, a great it, example it, of, you know, turning coal into a diamond. Yeah, and... Of course, once you buy a house, you can't afford anything else. So yeah. whenever my parents would have a volunteer plant come up around their pool, which was frequently, you know, they had some rocks around the pool and things would kind of nestle in there, seeds would drop and stay there and sprout, and I would dig them up and bring them over here. Mm-hmm. So in design, what design? I didn't have any design. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, I understand that you were a designer by trade, too. Is that correct, or 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 you design some, but mostly you write? Or I'm a writer full time, um, and I do do some design when if I'm just kind of helping people out and or kind of do some coaching for them if if they want to figure out what they have. You know, we'll, we'll see a lot of transit people come here, and they'll go. You know, somebody actually I was helping a friend of mine whose mom passed away, and she had the most beautiful garden in the world. Oh my gosh. She died suddenly, so it was really kind of sad. But I went up there for the funeral, and he says, you know, I need for you to tell me what it is that I have in my garden um, because he said he he, he owns a um, sawmill. He said, I can go into my parts room, and there's an 8-foot table on there with 25 different pieces of equipment. One piece might be a $50,000 piece, and the next one looks somewhat similar, and it's only worth ten. He said, I'm looking at this garden, and I'm thinking, I don't know my parts. <laughs> you know, do I do I need to save 
this special, special plant because, you know, it's worth $1,000, or are these all annuals that are going to get pulled and lost when the first frost comes? So it really occurred to me that when you're looking at plants, you're looking at, of course, the investment within the home, um, but also not even knowing what's where the money is and, you know, where the value is. And so it was an interesting process to look at a garden from that perspective. And it felt good to do it and to know, you know, what that $50,000 part was versus the $5 part and to be able to share that information with them. But I try, I don't have as much time to do that for others as I used to because writing has become a full-time job. Yeah, I used to enjoy going in and identifying plants, both when I worked for Extension and then later as when I went into business for myself as a garden designer and and later a garden coach. And um, it, it's always interesting to see what people have put in their garden. Mm-hmm. And I, I had one client that went in and he decided that he didn't want a lot of stuff in front of his house and he cut down probably $800 worth of hydrangeas. Mm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was one of those things that you just want to go, and, and, you know, of course, he left the box hollies and things like that in the junipers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> I'm exactly. sure you've seen it. Yeah. We're going to have to take another little break here, but um, I just want to remind people that you're listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show, and we're available on Facebook. Check us out, and we'll come back right after this break. Today's consumers find themselves faced with a greater variety of choices than ever before, both in the food they eat and the information they receive about that food. Feedstuff's Food Link was created to provide you with a balanced source of information for making decisions about your family's balanced diet. Visit FeedstuffsFoodLink.com to learn about your food directly from the source, the people who work every day to provide it. FeedstuffsFoodLink.com, connecting farm to fork. Quick steaks, that's Q-U-I-K steaks are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quicksteak.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of quick steaks. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's quick steaks, Q-U-I-K steaks, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pullis, and my guest today is Helen Yost, author of Gardening with Confidence and Plants with Benefits. Um, so right before the break, you were telling us what you do, that you're writing full-time. Tell me about your book. Does it address a particular style? or? Um, well, the um, Gardening with Confidence book, it's, that book is really about style. It's 50 ways to add style for personal creativity, and it really just kind of addresses 
any number of things that you might want to do in the garden. So it's beyond, it's not a gardening how-to book. It's really more of a why-to book, you know, adding benches and the kind of thing to think about when you want to add a bench or to place an arbor and the things to think about when placing an arbor. Uh, so it's really, a, you know, it, it's a, meant to be a nice read for people who want to add elements to their garden and, you know, you know, don't really know where to do it. I mean, some of the biggest mistakes that I see from a design standpoint is not staying within scale. We talked a little bit about the tree, but you'll also see it with benches or, you know, set tees and that sort of thing with all this stuff coming out of China and Mexico, which is, you know, a lot of thin wire. They'll put that up against a house in a perfect spot, but it's dwarfed because they have a, a, a a brick house, say, for example, and um, the scale is just off. And so it really gets people thinking about, okay, you're looking to buy this. Well, consider consider this before you make that purchase. So it was really fun to write, and most of it comes from the kind of thing that I write about for magazines, um, particularly Carolina Gardener, say, for example. This is the kind of kind of magazine stories, if you will. There are 50 magazine stories. It's probably one way to look at it as well. And then I end each chapter with a personal experience of my own on 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 every subject, on creating privacy, um, how to create privacy. It's so interesting to me that privacy is like one of the last things people think about, and it would be one of the first things that I would do when I moved into a house. And I did. When I moved here 17 years ago, the first thing I did was create something that was going to give me privacy because I knew it wasn't going to happen overnight. I knew I needed five or ten years for it to really build up, and the more I waited, the longer it was going to take. So um, that's really what that book is about. And and it came about as well because um, when I say I, I'm a writer, that is kind of like a loaded question of what well, what is a writer because I'm not sitting at my computer 24-7. I'm in a garden every day. Whether it's mine or somebody else's, I'm scouting gardens. I'm finding them for publication. I I work for Meredith Corporation, who's Better Homes and Gardens and Country Gardens and other many other pub titles. Um, for Southern Living Magazine, um, I've written for Martha Stewart. Um, so I, I I'm the one that's going out and finding great gardens for publication. Then I go do the photo shoot and I'm styling those gardens. So I'm making sure, you know, I'll redo deck furniture if it needs to be done, and I'll bring in another plant if it needs to be done. I'll prune, you know, dead leaves off of it to get a good shot. We don't ever come in and just create and make something out of nothing. The, every homeowner has has earned that right to kind of, you know, all right, this is magazine worthy, but I'll make it look better, if, if I will. I'm glad you said that, because a lot of people look at these magazines, and they're all, all the magazines that you've mentioned are just wonderful and lush, and they have beautiful gardens, and people look at them and say, I can never do that. My garden is never going to look like that. But there's some confession that goes on in there, like doing the styling. Um, when we did, uh, came back to do more, sh- uh, another shoot of the HGTV garden that I did for Landscape Solutions, we were in there, I, I brought in flats of plants, um, mm-hmm. 
because it was like five or six years later, and some things have gotten out of proportion, and we nipped and clipped and tucked leaves behind one another and mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. And then, in some cases, we ended up taking tight shots because you, it, it was, you know, it had grown in such a fashion. They had changed some plants out, and you know how husbands and wives sometimes have different ideas. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had changed a couple of plants out, and because they had been gone for a couple of years to Switzerland, some things hadn't been maintained. And so we went in there and we styled, and we, we couldn't get a long shot of it. We did tight shots, so it looked absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. But I know. People, people don't know. It's kind of like airbrushing models, isn't it? Well, <laughs> yeah, it is in a certain way, and getting great light, you know. I, um, I, um, but I, in, in defense of all that we do to style, we're we're not creating something out of nothing. So these gardens did have the the initial bones to work with. And the mind's eye would erase a hole if you if you see you know mm-hmm. mulch in one area, but the camera is not forgiving. So it's really more just to make the overall shot look better than it is to redo something the homeowner has done. I I did a great garden in in Raleigh. I think I sold that garden to every publication it's been in fine gardening and southern living it's been in country gardens it's it was a phenomenal garden and i i haven't written this blog post yet i blog at gardeningwithconfidence.com but i have the scouting pictures and then i have the final shot and it's like okay i get it the bones were there but we added curtains to this shed we put window boxes in we rearranged the furniture we put a fire pit in and let me tell you the homeowner walked away and didn't touch a thing they said we love it just like this and so you know thank you so it's fun and and you know that's happened every single time that you come in it's so nice to get somebody else's perspective and i am a stylist so it's they're like okay you know we want to see what you're going to do and if they don't like it they can put it back or if they don't like it and they don't want to be represented that way they can surely say um no this is not me that's never happened but if anyone ever did say it i'm not going to you know show my muscle i'm going to respect their their wishes but um and I've done over a hundred of these kinds of shoots, um, and every one of them has left it exactly like it was. And then here I'm the cobbler's wife because you know <laughs> I my garden needs to be styled. So I'm slowly working through styling different vignettes of my garden because I know how important it is. One of the things that I'm doing is I'm working with a photographer here, Ken Gurgle. He did a lot of the photography for my second book, Plants with Benefits, and we're shooting once a month of various aspects of the garden because I really want to write a book on um, creating wildlife habitats and using my garden that I call Helen's Haven as the example. So we're kind of taking these pictures, and when I'm looking at the pictures, I'm going, that's not good enough. I mean, you know, I wouldn't put that in a magazine. And then I realize I'm not styling these shots. I'm just letting him go and grab what he thinks looks nice, and they do, and the photographs are fabulous. But I realize I've got to, I've got to step in and style a shot every time if I want it to be something that's going to be published in a book. 
That might be my curse. That might be my own individual (laughs) curse. (laughs) And I I never would have really considered, I know people do food styling, because my next-door neighbor used to be a, um, he used to shoot food commercials in New York City. Uh And, um, but I never really considered about garden styling after the fact, until I started reading some of your blog, and now listening to you talk about um, styling gardens and, and looking at your own. And I agree that there when you look at something that you see all the time in particular, you mm-hmm. don't notice what's there or what's missing or what should be there because your mind sees it completely differently than a camera does. Exactly, which is why if you want to make any changes or just to evaluate your garden, take a picture and don't frame it. Just take it of everything, uglies and all. Then look at the picture and go, whoa, I, could, you know, I didn't realize I had that whatever you know, um, whatever ugly thing you need to hide, it may not even be ugly. It might just be your neighbor's deck, and you don't want to put a full privacy fence up, but you don't want to be able to have to see them and them see you, and you can put a nice, well, well-suited well um, shrub in its, in its place and then kind of design around that. But it's, And you can see your kids' toys are kicked over. How long were they sitting there, you know? Oh, okay, you know, I'm tripping over that hose. It's not very attractive. Um, I did it the other day. I just put up a really quick picture on uh, Instagram, and it was of a, a garden area that I'm enhancing. It's where one of my vegetable beds are. And a friend had given me a, a, a small um, prop house, and I had it in place. And I said, oh, that's a pretty shot. And when I looked at it, I published it. You know, I put it up on the social media. But I looked at it and I said, man, what was I thinking? That those, that passing, you know, uh, placement and curve is way off. So from that picture, I went ahead and redid the path just by kicking the, they're just stepping stones that look like fish. And I just kind of moved them over so it had a nice curve and it was in balance. And it took me to have the photograph to look at then to see it in person. I'm glad you mentioned photographs, too, because when I would teach landscape design, I'd have my students bring in pictures of their landscape, and we'd do them, we'd look at them as you're indicating. We also would take them and slap them down and, and do them in black and white, too, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. looking at black and white lets you see the bones where your eye normally is, is looking to the color. Exactly. So that makes it That makes a big difference, too. It, it really does. Um, I just, for my own front yard, I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to put this crab apple. And most of my gardens are on the perimeter with grass in the center. And I think my husband is, you know, hoping that I would just stay within my boundaries. But long story short, <laughs> I, I said, well, maybe I don't want to do this. And I'm going back and forth and back and forth. So I finally took a picture, laid it out, printed it out, and said, this is where I think the tree would go. If this picture shows tells me that this is going to be a good decision, then I'll do it. But if it doesn't, I'm not doing it. And I did. I put the the square where I thought the plant would go. I drew a, a tree, that, and I'm not even an artist. I just drew what it would look like in front of the house, and I said, dang on it, it's perfect. So, so <laughs> that's so what your husband loses some of his lawn. Yes. Yes, I'm going in. This is this is a game changer. I don't know what's going to happen after this, but I'm going to, you know, temper it a little bit and start with the tree and see where I can go from there. But it was perfect. But I would have never known. And, and you know, it's a, it saves a lot of time and effort than to go get, get a tree and then go, oh, that didn't look good. 
Um, yes. Just a few sketches of photograph. We're going to take another break here, but when we come back, I'd like to hear a little bit more about this and your crab apple and what kind you're getting and what other fruiting plants that you have. We'll be right back after this break. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. Today's consumers find themselves faced with a greater variety of choices than ever before, both in the food they eat and the information they receive about that food. Feedstuff's Food Link was created to provide you with a balanced source of information for making decisions about your family's balanced diet. Visit FeedstuffsFoodLink.com to learn about your food directly from the source, the people who work every day to provide it. FeedstuffsFoodLink.com, connecting farm to fork. PrivateHealthCareExchanges.com. Have you checked out the only online guide where employers, health plans, brokers, and consultants can navigate private exchange and defined contribution markets? Browse PrivateHealthCareExchanges.com today. The emergence of private health insurance exchanges represents perhaps the most significant shift in how Americans purchase health benefits in years. As employers move their employee population into private exchanges, this trend is on a growth projection into the 2015 benefit year and beyond, according to research published by Allegis Technologies. Visit PrivateHealthCareExchanges.com today to browse our national searchable directory and for Healthcare Exchange Solutions magazine and newsletter. Be sure to submit your listing for inclusion in this groundbreaking guide at www.PrivateHealthCareExchanges.com. That's www.PrivateHealthCareExchanges.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pullis, and my guest today is Helen Yost, author of Gardening with Confidence and Plants with Benefits. And before the break, we were talking about your new crab apple and how you fixed, how you used photographs to make sure that that was going to be the plant in the right place. Have you done that with all your rest of your fruit plants, or they just have then been relegated to the, the vegetable garden part? Or tell me about it. Well, the the others have been relegated to. Um vegetable areas or edible areas I guess and or as a you know a, a sun break or you know something specific that was going to be uh, environmentally friendly or access to water in a Xerox or in a oasis zone that, that sort of thing I let the design of the garden decide where it was going to go this tree was I'm going into new frontier and um, you know I, I'm already overboard gardener there's no question about that you cannot miss that there is a gardener that lives here and because it's all in the front it's all in the back it's all all on the sides but i had that one little square of grass out front 
and I'm taking it over. <laughs> I'm coming in for the kill. But so, yeah, I took a picture, drew, drew it, and then put the square, got it in scale, and called the farmer's market where I'm getting the tree, called Roger, and I said, he, I said, you told me to give you a call to bring you this transcendent is the one that I'm getting. I, I wanted Callaway. I looked everywhere for it, um, but I wasn't able to get one of a of a decent size. And um, anyway, this one is comparable from what I understand. And now tell um, me about it. It's one that I'm not familiar with. Well, it's, it's called transcendent. Mm-hmm. And it's um, it's very similar to say Liberty and or Callaway. It's a, a Less than two inch um, multi, um, I guess they're all multi uh, fruit on a branch. Nice color, nice color in the fall. Um, pink or in whitish flowers in the spring. Um, and it's not too, too tall. So I think it's the tallest it's going to get is 15 feet and about 15 feet wide as well. So I thought it would work well in that spot. That's a good size for a small landscape tree, isn't it? I think it is. And, and you know, and, and I, so many people have smaller landscapes these days. Well, that's true. And then you've got to pick the fruit, so you can only go so tall. You know? <laughs> or you can leave those for the birds. Or, but, uh, but yeah, so I, I, um, this is all new for me. And it's, it's, uh, I, I'm on a slope. I'm, my lot is 100 feet deep, and I'm, it's a, I'm at one to sixteen, so I, I from my street looking up, I raise up sixteen feet to the very back end of the garden. So the whole slot, uh, whole lot is a gentle slope all the way down to the street. This happens to be right in the middle of that slope in the front going down. So it will actually be a little lower from a you know a focal point, um, and it, so it's not going to completely obstruct the house, which is something you don't really want to do. You need to be able to see the front door. You need to feel like people are welcome to come in. So it was a hard decision on, you know, what kind of plant to get and what size to get and things to consider as far as keeping things looking friendly and um, without, you know, having everything to be a low profile. So, yeah, it was not, it wasn't, I don't know, you know, some of these things you get paralyzed on and how to make a decision on, on something you're hoping to keep for 30 years, you know. One thing with annuals or even perennials, you can rip them out if they're not working or, you know, grab salvias by their knees and rip it out and, you know, you know that they're going to be fine. But you're putting yeah. in something for the next generation. You really want to give it some, you know, serious thought. Yeah, I had to do that when I was putting in my apple trees, too. I wanted the fruit trees in front. I wanted them to be pretty, and I wanted them to be decorative, not to be too tall, Not again, not to obstruct the house. Mm-hmm. And when you've got a 60s ranch, it's really hard to not obstruct some of the house. <laughs> um, I, I didn't worry quite so much because I didn't have a lot of great architecture, but so many more architectural details are being built into homes these days. But still in all, I wanted to you know, have the plants have the best for the plants, their mm-hmm. best location, mm-hmm. as well as having them present well in the landscape. And what I didn't know at the time was that even though Georgia is the peach state, we're a terrible um, place to grow peaches and cherries. Really? Spray. Yeah. We've got lots of fungi. Mm-hmm. So the apples, apples work very much better, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they're still with us. The others have gone. Mm-hmm. But it just left me with places to put more things in the landscape. Now, you mentioned that in your book, 
uh, gardening with confidence, you give examples of things that you have done. Do you ever confess? No, oh, all the time. Mistakes? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what's Not probably the shamed. biggest boo-boo? <laughs> what, what, what's the biggest boo-boo you did? Um, hmm. Gosh, there are so many. <laughs> well, well, I don't think if anyone's really standing out. Um, probably... Not considering where to put a, a a peach tree once, and it was in too much shade, and it was trying to reach out into the sun, and it looked really, really awful. I ended up taking that down. That was that was not fun. Um, I've also experimented with with you know the layout, you know, what curves versus linear spaces, and and I've had. I've had my garden to be what people say, well, you know, this is natural. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, it's natural to have a curve like that. But my house is very linear, and this is, it's a cultivated garden. It's not meant to replicate nature. So why why do I have to have a curve that looks pleasing to you? Why can't I put in a curve that's pleasing to the, to the house and consistent with the house? And so... I, I went from what I thought was going to be widely acceptable to something that was severely Helen and having these, <laughs> these squares throughout the yard, and I love it, you know. And people might still go, wow, that's really interesting, <laughs> but I love it, you know. I love curves as well, and if you have a curvy home, that's great. Or uh, Well, I like to think that the further you're away from the home, the, the less you need to be, you know, stuck to that one style, but I have a two-story traditional home that's just a big box. Um, squares work really, really well with that. And then I've taken some of the plants and give them some flow, and that's been a lot of fun. I have this one, I have this, these boxwoods that line all my gardens so that I can have this formality area, formal area with the wildness behind, kind of make things look somewhat tame. I could not get the curve of that boxwood right to save my life. I finally did, but it took a couple years before I was really looking at it. One day I just popped the last three that, that ended the curve and said, what is this really supposed to look like? So I popped them out, and I just played. Should it go straight? Should it curve the other way? You know, What should this really do? Should I end it earlier? And it turned out that I needed to reverse that curve so that it becomes this giant S sweep going up around the house. Um, but it took me two years to, to figure that out. I'd look at that shrub every day I came home and go, what is wrong with this picture? And finally I came to me and then I've just, you know, your shovel is your best designer. Just take it out of the ground, move it around, and then it'll it'll reveal itself. One of the things that I used to teach my um my homeowner clients, with, they took a design class with me, um, was to see about getting, if you think you want to do something, get a bunch of boxes from mm-hmm. one of the big box stores mm-hmm. and line the boxes out and maybe have your kids stand behind a refrigerator carton or something like that if you're not sure, because mm-hmm. it is easier to design that way um, rather than to dig plants out of the ground. 
Well, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> but and yet, I probably would have done you, that to start with. Uh, you're right. You are like me, um, a, a nutcase gardener. You know, <laughs> Absolutely. And, and we, we do that. But but normal people don't have to do that. Yeah. We've, we've, we've only got about four minutes left today, but I wanted to talk about your other book a little bit, too, um, which is called Plants with Benefits. And one of the things, uh, I know you did a, a couple of shows, or at least a show, uh, with Kate on the subject. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that got me this morning when I was looking at your blog is tomatoes as sunscreen. Yes. What is that all about? Well, I, it, um, that's not in the book. That's just a follow-up that right. I write about because I like to write about the benefits. Um, I'm going to have to look up to see what that compound was, but there's a compound in um, tomatoes that acts as a natural sunscreen, and, um, and now the um, American Medical Association says you can't, that can't be used in lieu of sunscreen, but there right. is that little bit of protection in there. So that was a fun little tidbit. Yeah, what, yeah, I love these little tid- tidbits. Yeah, well, you know, the book, <laughs> the book is specific about the aphrodisiac qualities of plants throughout history, and it really looks at history. And, and the tomato, for example, was considered love apples, you know, and it was also the devil's fruit, and the church banned people from eating apples for a while. For just, I mean, um, tomatoes for a while because they were afraid it was going to make the congregation too lustful. So, you know, it has its interesting history. There is no scientific proof that says that it does, you know, act as an aphrodisiac. It is one sexy orb, though, that's for sure. Um, But you know, Especially if you're growing beautiful heirlooms. Yeah. So you here you are, you know, um, it's all, it, that all came, comes down to suggestion. You know, your mind is going to take you to places that you really don't have any control over. There's no, there's no compounds in it to, to um, you know, substantiate it. But um, that, that's what the beauty of the book was, is it looks at all of these vegetables and spices and how they were used throughout history for procreation and so I, it was a fascinating ride i thoroughly enjoyed every every bit of it and had no idea you know it was like when you think about you know what's the flavoring of a, a bride's wedding cake almond almond was used for for um, millennium as a fertility booster um, it's been a tradition for young couples for, for almost 3,000 years it's amazing what you find when you start digging around in history, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was, can, I was blown away. Helen, where can people find you? If they're looking around on the web to find you, where, where I, do they go? You can come to gardeningwithconfidence.com and, or plantswithbenefits.com. That will take you to the same location. I'm on Facebook as Helen Yost. I'm also there as Gardening with Confidence. I'm also there as Plants with Benefits and Helen Yost author. So I get around there. That's a lot of fun. <laughs> I try to post different things, uh, you know, on different topics um, relating to the, to the subject. And I'm on Instagram as Helen Yost. I love Instagram. It's my new favorite thing because it's in the moment. And you've got to do it right then and there. Okay, well, I don't know where you find time to actually garden when you're that busy, but but it obviously works for you. Your books are great. They're they're fun reads. I like the fun. Thank you, uh, especially. So, thank you very much for being with us today, Helen. I hope. What's your next project? We've got a couple of seconds here. What's your uh, next one? I've got 
I was asked to write one other book, I can't say, and I, but I've pitched an idea for another, of course, and I can't say. So I'm hoping that um, by next year, by next uh, spring, hopefully I'll have another book out. Okay, and people will just have to keep uh, up with us, and when you, let, when you let me know, I will post it on America's Homegrown Veggie Show Facebook page, too. Oh, I'll so do that. Everybody I appreciate will know. that. Thank you. Okay. Um, again, thank you for being with us, Helen. And I hope to hear all of hope to have all of you listening next week when we're back with another home, America's Homegrown Veggie Show. We'll see you next week. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.